podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. again and welcome to the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am Tom Holmes and sadly Leanne Prescott cannot be joining us this week but to help fill the void from that I have got two fantastic guests. First of all we have got Mr Scott Groom. It's good to have you back on Scott. How have you been my friend? All good. Very busy but all good. Uh, Glad to be back. Uh, It's good to have uh, some interesting topics to get our teeth stuck into not only with last night's frustrating result against Leicester but uh, Sure, plenty of other things which we'll get stuck into in a few moments' time. Yeah, exactly. And joining us for the first time, we have got Mr. Luke Chandley. Luke, it's good to have you on. Hi, mate. How are you? Yeah, it's um, it's good to be here. Uh, yeah, like like Scott said, there's a lot to talk about, um, especially kind of appropriately with with what happened last night. Um, and if, uh, you know, we'll have a, a lot to a lot to get into. So yeah, it's nice to be here, anyway, mate. Yeah, no, exactly. As you said, lots to get into. Um, and uh particularly with last night, which I think will tie quite nicely into your article later on. But we are going to kick off with Scott's article, which is on the defence and about how, uh, in Scott's, Scott, your opinion, the defence is still Liverpool's biggest problem area. So I'm going to let you kick this topic off. Why don't you give us your opening sort of opening salvo on the defence and why you think it is still the biggest problem for Jurgen Klopp? Well, in terms of um, fortunes on the pitch, this season, obviously, things have been better. We've conceded the fewest amount of goals in the league. Um, that's been massively helped by the introduction of uh, Alisson and, obviously, Virgil van Dijk into the back line. Not only that, but with the um, the resurgence in form of uh, Joe Gomez after he's recovered from his injuries, and then the emergence of both Andy Robertson and, and Trent as well. Formed a really tight defensive unit, but I think... Um, even though the additions of those two, Van Dyke and Becker, have sort of you know helped to take the defence to the next level, I think the foundations were there in Klopp's time previously. Um, but he's just had to spend big on those two areas to take the defence up another level. But what I feel like needs Klopp needs to do again, and I'm not saying that he should have done it in January, is again spend big on the defence because in recent weeks we've, as we all know, we've had a number of injuries. We've had Matip, Lovren, Trent and Joe Gomez all picking up injuries and then there was the scare this week with Van Dyke being ill as to whether he was going to make it to play against Leicester last night. And I just think that aside from that starting five, if you include Alisson in that as well, the deputies that we have beyond those ranks, especially with letting Nathaniel Klein go, it kind of it scares me still. Um in midfield, you look at it, we've got Henderson, Milner, Wijnaldum, Ox when he's back from his injury, Shakiri, Keita, Fabinho. You know, there's a wealth of talent there. Whereas if you look at the defence, you know, so should something happen to, to Van Dyke and Gomez at the same time, for example, we're sort of thinking, oh, goodness me, we're left with Lovren and Matip, who on their day, perfectly capable defenders, but we all know that they also have their day for the, the crazy mistakes or the dodgy performances that just can't be can't be present if we're going to continue this push towards the league title. Same goes for, for right back as well. I know Fabinho can deputise there and Milner can play there, but you know, they're not right back by trade. And then other than that, we've only got Rafa Camacho. And on the left, we only really have Alberto Moreno. And, you know, some of these names I'm saying, you know, Moreno probably be on his way out of the club this summer, I would have thought. So it really leaves the defensive back up severely stretched and I just think should we get any problems suspensions whatever it may be that you know we're still in the lurch and I think it was now I mentioned his name on this podcast but Alex Ferguson said that you know great attacks win you games but great defenses win you titles and it's one of the truest things that, that have ever been said in football you look at all the, the great league winning sides of the over the years and they've all been built on solid defensive units so unless Liverpool can sort of get some reinforcements in there, I still think that it's an area of the pitch that really, really worries me, to be honest. 
Okay, some really good points there, Scott. Um, so, Luke, I will let you give your overall thoughts on this current situation in the defence and in the depth, and then we can get into some specifics. Okay? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, t- to be honest with you, I, I can I, I completely agree. Really, um, it it only goes to show kind of what like what happened last night. Um, that our defence is it's it's our most our most vulnerable area uh, on the pitch. Um, and obviously, we've kind of got I think we've got cover figured. In all areas, it's just the fact that the cover isn't isn't either what we'd want or isn't good enough. Um, I think at left back it's not good enough, and I think at right back you you wouldn't you wouldn't really ideally want to start Milner or want to start Henderson. I mean, I don't know how many times Henderson started at right back for us, but I'd I'd, I'd imagine if that's not the first time, then you know hopefully it's going to be the last time. Yeah, he didn't do too badly, but. It's just not what you want. I'd rather have him in the centre with, like, with Fabino and, and with Kato Shakiri. Um, so I basically read, I read through the piece and I was, I was just nodding away, really. Um, what kind of, what scares me as well the most almost is if, if Van Dyke gets injured, because I think even if we have Gomez, who I, who I think is, you know, he, he is our second choice defender now. He is, he is the partner alongside Van Dyke. I, I still think he hasn't got that level of communication where, you can only see from like the little clips that you see online of like Virgil will, will scream at people and, and and you've got to be a certain type of person to do that. And then it's not a criticism of Gomez because his job is to be a footballer and he, he's doing that very well, but he hasn't got that character to really organize and to even, you know, to even like, I think Hendo and, and, and Virgil have, have had Barney's between them and, and there are two captains. So you can see there that they've got, they've got real leadership. So if, if Van Dyke was out, I'd be worried for the defence, regardless of whether we had Trent, Robbo, and um, Gomez. So that that's kind of what what I thought initially, um, because the centre back options again, I'm I'm not, I'm not sure you'd want Matip kind of for the long term. Really, um, I, I didn't think he played too, particularly poorly against Leicester, um, but him and Lovren have kind of got their um, weak games in them where. It, I mean, Lovren's improved massively, but, you know, I still don't want to have to trust him. Um, so to be honest with you, yeah, the, the Scotch piece was kind of hit the nail on the head for me. Okay, wicked stuff. And I think, I mean, to be fair, I agree with a lot of what you've said already, and I agree with a lot of what Scott's written in this article. Um, so the first sort of point I want to hit on, Scott, is how much do you think this defence has improved under Jurgen Klopp? Because obviously, you know, we'll talk a bit, we'll talk in a minute about the sort of the, the issues that exist there. But how far do you think we have come sort of in the last sort of two, three years? And how much of that is down to Klopp? And how much of that is down to the people that he's brought in, do you think? Um, I don't think Klopp really gets the credit he deserves in terms of shaping his defence. Because, yes, the spending in excess of 100 million on uh, Allison and Van Dyke combined is is one hundred percent healthy. I mean, the defense looked better last season. I thought it it looked the best it had under Klopp last season. You know, there, obviously there were still frailties, but you could see what he was trying to do. You could see what he was trying to bring in, and this is sort of pre-January, you know, before Van Dyke arrived. Um, you could see, you know, the the ideas he was trying to implement with, you know, bringing in Robertson. Who, you know, let's not forget that when he brought in Trent and Robbo, these are this is a teenager who's you know never played first team football before, and has basically just been chucked right in at the deep end and has been more than capable of it. A lot of that has to be, you know, go down to Trent and how well he's doing as coping as a professional footballer and his talent and how hard he's worked to get to where he is. But a lot of that has to go down to Klopp's guidance and his you know, tactical now as to how to use his skills best in the position. Same goes for Robertson. Came in for eight million quid from, from Hull about two years ago. You know, people sort of thought, oh, well, this is, this is a strange sign and this will either work or it'll just go horrendously wrong. Didn't start out life on a too easy, um, footing because, you know, Moreno was keeping him out of the team as shocking as that may seem now. Um, and, you know, it was only through an um, injury to Moreno that Robertson got his chance and he, he grabbed it with both hands, to be fair to him. But, you know, even then there were some solid performances at the start. But as he's been in the team more often and as he's had more time to work with Klopp, I think both of those things, again, plus Robertson's natural ability, have really seen them come on 
as players. And you know, the same can be said for all of them. Obviously, bringing in Van Dijk, he's he, he is just a world class player. He's a, he's a leader. He's an absolute athlete. He's he's everything you would want from a centre back if you are playing alongside him or you're his manager. And he's everything you wouldn't want if you're a centre forward playing against him. He's you know try and get past him with pace. He's fast. Try and beat him in the air. He's strong. He can pick passes. He can organise his defence. He's everything. But, you know, it, like I said, I don't think Klopp gets enough credit because it's all well and good. You can, you see it sometimes with teams. They just throw money at players and spend the big bucks on, you know, oh, this player's good. He'll come in. He'll fit right in. And it just doesn't work. And then, you know, for one reason or another, players get moved on or whatever happens. Um, it takes it takes a great deal of um, tactical know-how and man management skill and just, you know, astute football knowledge to be able to not only spend the big money on the players, but then to bed them into who you already have and to complement them with other players and in the system that you're you're playing. And, you know, it's not just the fact that the defensive four, and including the goalkeeper five, have improved over the last couple of years. It's the fact that Klopp's learned that, you know, he needs to be more protective of his defence with his midfield, hence the addition of Fabinho in the summer and him using Henderson as a more um, reserved player, having playing in the sixth role and, and breaking the play up there and using Wijnaldum, who was primarily a attacking player when he was at Newcastle, having him, you know, sort of buzzing in between the lines of the defence in the midfield, trying to pick off the attack, as well as using his prowess going forward as well. So I think it's an amalgamation of everything, really, but we shouldn't overlook the fact that Klopp's he's clearly highlighted the problem areas. He implemented his style from, from Dortmund straight away in heavy metal football, go for it, score loads of goals, play great football. He implemented it and said, right, let's just see where this goes. And then he's put that in place. And then he's realised from there, OK, right, I can use aspect of it but then I need to improve X, Y and Z and he's gone out and he's done it and he's made Liverpool the best defensive uh, unit in the Premier League last couple of games obviously we've let in four goals in the last two games at Anfield which isn't great but we still have the best defensive record in the league and that's you know you, you can't just hand that all to Van Dijk and Alisson or whoever else you've got to you know hold your hands up and, and say well done Mr Klopp you've done a fantastic job there yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got, I mean, we've got one of the best defensive records in Europe. Um, it's very close between us and Juventus because obviously Juve have played less games, so it's harder to judge. But we you know we, and I think a lot of that is down to Klopp. I wrote an article recently saying something along those lines. You know, Klopp doesn't necessarily get enough credit for the fact that this is more. You know, a, a lot of people sort of say Klopp's fixed the defense by buying Van Dijk, and I'm not sure that's fair at all. I think Van Dijk's a big part of why we are better defensively. But I don't think he's the be-all and end-all. I think Klopp's done a lot of work on the training ground as well, which he doesn't necessarily get the credit for. Um, Luke, I'm going to jump in with you here. So jumping straight back into sort of the, the sort of the other side of it, which is the side we kind of wanted to get into, um, areas for concern. And I think, you know, talk to me a little bit more about your thoughts on the depth and how many players you think we still need to sort of fix the issues that really make, mean that our defence is still quite shallow. Uh, Maybe, maybe in terms of quality or in terms of numbers. Um, I, I think if we say, if we take last night's game for example, I think if we went into that game with, um, say for example, a certified right back cover, I think you're going into it not worrying half as much as you are with a midfielder there, and. I think it probably all goes a little bit better. Maybe it's a little bit more fluid. Um, I think the, I think that right and left back areas are, are the, are the most important. Um, and I, I know I spoke earlier about how, having cover, um, for Van Dyke, but I, but I do think, I mean, we've got Trent who, who should be allowed to drop in and out in terms of how well his form's going. I mean, you know, there's a, there's been many examples of players who have just kind of came in at 18, played till they're 22, 23 and kind of burnt out. Um, I think we need to allow a lad like that to be able to have dips in form where we can take him out and bring in maybe someone who's just as good as him. Um, and again, like go, going over to the left side. Um, obviously Robertson is like, you know, I, I wouldn't be looking for. Anyone necessarily like like better than him because he is like I think he's exactly what we want there. But then 
Alberto Moreno is probably the opposite. He's really not, he's not particularly, um, well, he's not proved himself at all. Um, unfortunately, I, I was very excited about him when he signed and it's kind of all gone downhill from there. He had, he, he had patches of really good form, but I just, I think what you want is as a supporter and a squad, someone who can come in and you can kind of, you can think you can take your eye off them. And I think that's the most important thing. I feel like that with Lovren and to an extent Matip, but I don't feel that way about kind of either side of the defence. So say, say if it was summertime and, and kind of we were sitting around talking about what, like what we think needs to happen. I think a right and a left back kind of those positions. So not, not trying to centre back at right back, not trying kind of Milner at left back. I think we need a right sided defender and a left sided defender. Um, and I mean, you could, you could probably, I mean, you could probably also throw in a centre half in there as well. But I just think, I think the most important parts of the defence are those either side because the, the, the middle, the middle four are kind of probably accustomed to each other a little bit now. Yeah. So I'd be going out and trying to find maybe even, maybe even a, a first choice right back kind of spending maybe 25, 30 million on someone who's going to kind of come in and in theory, just like, just put him in there. Um, and kind of flip Trent in and out, in and out. Um, obviously depending on what is like long term, what Klopp's long term thoughts are for Trent, whether it's the much fabled moving him into midfield or whether he is seen as like the right back. Um, but I, I've just got in my head, I'd rather have kind of a 23, 24 year old right back in that position. That's interesting. That's, I, I mean, I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute. That's the opposite of what I would do in a, to a certain, to, from a certain viewpoint. Um, in the sense that I would buy one player and I'd make it a world-class centre-back and then I'd say to Gomez, you're now both our left-back and our right-back cover and also a centre-back and you can basically do where play wherever you're needed when you're needed. Um, so I'll go to you now, Scott, so you can sort of respond to what Luke said but also sort of say your own sort of piece on how would you go about fixing the depth in that defence? Do you think it's a case of going out and buying one player who's really good, who can play multiple positions? Do you think it is a case of sort of saying... Okay, we need a backup left back and a backup right back. Would you sort of look to the players who are already existing? So your 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 youth players, so maybe your Rafa Camachos, I believe is it Adam Lewis, the backup left back, I believe. Yeah. Um someone like that. Or would you go out and buy someone in t- or would you go out and do what um what Luke wants to do, which is essentially buy a backup left back and then maybe buy someone on right back who can rotate with Trent? I would agree in the extent that a backup left back or just, you know, someone who can come in in direct competition with Robertson for the left back position is a priority because, you know, Moreno, I would be, I'd be entirely shocked if he's still at Anfield. Is he, I don't know if he's out of contract or anything like that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but especially after Moreno, that, Moreno, Moreno will go in the summer on a three most likely. Yeah. Yeah. And after the interview that he gave a few weeks ago as well, you know, he's, he hasn't got a future at Anfield as far as anybody is concerned. Who's got a footballing brain. So he's a goner. Um, and while it is in an ideal, we've had this conversation before, Tom, um, on a previous pod with Leanne about how difficult it is in terms of youngsters getting into the, their parent club. And we talked about Harry Wilson and how he's in a great spell at Derby. But if he came back to Liverpool, would he get in? And, you know, do Liverpool fans want to have to rely on the younger players? Albeit Harry Wilson's a bit of an older, younger player and has proved himself. But you see what I'm saying? You don't want to have to rely on Lewis to come in at left back if Robertson's picks up a hamstring injury and he's out for four weeks. Um, you need someone who can just step in. You need a left back who can just come in and say, yep, cool, I'll play there, boss. I think right back is a little bit better because Trent obviously plays there with, um, incredible poise. We've got Gomez who can, is more than capable of doing the job, not quite as natural there as Trent is and not quite as natural as he is playing centre back, but he can, he can do a more than, uh, more than capable job there. Um, you've got Fabinho who can play there, not ideal because you lose him from the middle of the park, but you know, sometimes needs must. And you know, should, um, Milner stick around for another season, which I would highly suspect just for his experience and his versatility, he can play there as well. Yes, he can play left back but again you don't if he was to be called upon a right back he'd probably be third maybe fourth choice if you stick Camacho in ahead of him whereas sometimes he might be called on to play left back at the moment because Klopp just doesn't trust Moreno and rightly so but you don't want a 33 34 year old James Milner to be your 
second choice left back. That, that's that's not okay. Especially you know if Liverpool go on to win the league this year, you're going to be able to attract the best talents in world football, and we're going to have a big budget to be able to do so. So why not splash a few million quid on a left back? But I would also agree in the fact that we, we I definitely say we need a centre back as well because not just because of the fact of Lovren and Matic having issues with consistency and dodgy moments, but the fact that neither of them can stay fit. Isn't the the stat that Lovren has never played seven consecutive games or something for Liverpool without picking up a knock or or something like that? He he's a man who's notoriously bad for getting injuries. Matic's no stranger to injuries either. And then obviously with having an injury layoff comes the the ring rust when you get put back into it. You know, there's we all know the difference between being fit and being match fit. Can Liverpool really afford that if they're looking to, you know, push on all fronts again? If you know, if it comes to next season and we're looking to retain a Premier League title or we're looking to go on better in the Champions League again or we want to win a domestic cup and you need those rotation options because injuries and suspensions will happen. Fatigue happens, it's natural. You need those players to be able to split them in and out. Like, you know, in an ideal world, Van Dyke will play every single game and Gomez will be there 95% of the time to deputise him this season. But, you know, with Gomez was really unfortunate to get his injury, actually. It's not like he's an injury prone player. He's had two bad injuries and they've been really quite bad injuries. Four, four bad injuries now, I'm afraid. Well, I was thinking of the the two most recent. He, he was it his knee that he did last, and then he's obviously yeah. broken his leg. That's he's off the dead. back of two ACL injuries as well, though. Yeah. Um, the issue with the issue with I'll briefly bring this in. The issue with something like that with Gomez is that not necessarily that he's already injury prone, but that having those having three or four serious injury layoffs means you are more likely to pick up injuries in future. These sorts of things do have knock on effects which means that he is likely to be an injury-prone player in the next decade or so, which is an issue. Which, again, sort of further strengthens my point as to the fact that I can't see, especially, uh, I can't remember how old Matic is off the top of my head, but Lovren's 30, 29 or 30, so, you know, he's he's not exactly young anymore, and Klopp's trying to build a team for the future. Obviously, you still have to have a few mature players in there with the experience, but Lovren's not going to be around forever, and neither is Matic because they're both, you know, sort of getting to a, a later stage in their career, if you like. So there's arguments there to, you know, replace one of those and then maybe bring somebody in as well because of, as you've just highlighted with, um, with Gomez's injury problems and that perhaps making him more susceptible to longer term injuries in the future. But there's an area that we're forgetting as well, and that's that's goalkeeper. Do we really trust Mignolet as backup keeper, or do we need to buy another backup keeper? We tried to do that with Carrius, and that, well, ended terribly. Um, so do we need to buy a keeper as well? Because you know we've, we've, although he's been, you can't knock his professionalism and how he conducts himself in terms of being there for his team and called upon when necessary. Mignolet has made no secret of the fact that he wants to play first team football as every pro does. And he's not happy sitting on the bench every week. So if we get rid of Mignolet, does it fall down to, and I can't remember his name, like Grabara or someone like that to sit on the bench behind Allison? Because, you know, what happens if Allison takes a tumble and dislocates his shoulder and he's out for a good couple of weeks? Then who have we got to call on in goal? And that would, that would be an injury as seismic to one, to Van Dijk or to Salah. You know, if one of those two players gets injured, we're all sitting there with our hearts in our mouths. If Allison gets injured, I would be feeling probably just as bad, if not worse. Because I'm thinking, you know, if we've still got Salah and Van Dyke, you know, we've got that buffer there and we've got the ability to score goals at will. But if, you know, someone could have one shot and if we've got an inept keeper in the back of the net, one mistake would probably equal a goal. And these things can be really pivotal. So if you're asking me, I would say left back, centre back maybe two centre-backs and a, another keeper. I think right-back's okay for now. Okay, that's some interesting takes there. A um, couple of things I would say based on that. Matip is actually 27. He's only a month He's only a month older than Van Dyke. So I think, you know, Not he is. No, he's only 27. He's the same age. He's, yeah, as I say, a month older than Van Dyke. So in that, I think he is a player who could stick about for a bit longer. Um, with goalkeeper, I think, you know, it's it's incredibly difficult to pick up a quality backup goalkeeper because you know for a fact the bottom line is you've got unless barring a freak injury your goalkeeper is going to play 40 50 games a season um you know how many good teams in the world have got a quality backup goalkeeper 
Um, I do agree. I'd rather we could do better than Simon Mignolet, but I don't think that is a priority area personally. Um, what I would say about left back is with Robbo, um, he is a player who is capable of doing mammoth amounts of minutes. So he is a player that is capable of playing 50 games a season and he's a player who doesn't get injured very often. So obviously you want to prepare for the possibility of freak injury. But I think if we strengthen our hand at centre-back, we can work around that to an extent. Um, what I reckon, personally, before we sort of go into the other side, we'll talk one more, sort of one or two more points on this. But for me personally, I think you, you go out and you buy a world-class defender and then you say, you may be a versatile defender if we can, someone who can play left or right back as well if we need them to. And then we've got, you know, two world-class centre-backs and two centre-backs who are versatile in the sense that we've got Gomez who can play left back and right back. You buy another centre-back who can maybe play left-back or right-back as well. Then you've got a whole host of options as to how you want to play. You've got a whole host of options as to what you want to do. I don't think five centre-backs is too many. Yeah, Guy just pointed out Aspilicueta, and I think Guy's pretty much bang on there. Just buy Dave Aspilicueta. Perfect. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, five centre-backs is not too many when, as you say, when three of those five are very injury-prone players. And that's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. You know, I don't trust any of Gomez, Lovren, and Matic to go half a season without getting an, an injury. That's just the way it is. Um, Luke, I will go to you for this sort of next piece, which is improving the defence naturally means that some of these players are going to have to drop out. So how many players or which players are you looking at and saying you've got to go? I mean, we've talked about how Moreno is probably going to leave in the summer. He's probably the sort of the main one that everyone thinks has to leave. Would you be saying that anyone else in that defence has to be gotten rid of? Or do you think it's just a case of strength? Do you think we need more numbers as well as more quality? Because at the moment, we've really got seven defenders for four spots. And that's just not enough. Um, I, I don't necessarily think anyone other than other than Moreno, who's out of contract, I don't think anyone should necessarily be be moved on as such. I think there's, I think there's an argument to be had by... Getting someone who just moves themselves up the pecking order, so they move. So I think what you'd have is like, I mean, I think ideally, you know, I, I was actually just thinking as, as you were talking about in terms of right and left back, and um, even like even City, they've got one left back. It's Mendy, and you know he's been injured <laughs> quite a few times. So Laporte moves over there. So you know, not everyone's kind of against my argument. And then everyone's going to have back up to everywhere. So if we could find a, a centre half who was who was well equipped to play one of the left or right back positions? That'd be great. Um, but in terms of in terms of getting rid of anyone, I, I don't I don't think I would. Um, I think I'd I think I'd keep everyone around with an eye to over the next couple of transfer windows, maybe moving Lovren and Matip on. Um, I just it is the it is the injury thing. Um, and when I kind of when I spoke about getting in the right and left back, I did even even then I, I thought. You've got to have your eye on kind of improving on them. Um, I mean, they're both injury prone. They're both kind of prone to errors a little bit. Um, so I'd more be finding someone who's maybe second or third choice centre back in that case. Um, and a right back. But yeah, I wouldn't be moving anyone on as such, to be honest with you. Okay. And one more question for you, Luke, and then yeah. I'll let Scott wrap up. Um, do you think Scott's right in the sense that do you think defence, defensive cover is, Still, the biggest issue we've got at the moment with our squad. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do actually. To be honest with you, while while I was reading the piece and kind of just thinking about it, you've got. I think even now this season, I think Klopp had clearly identified the fact that we were kind of a little light centre forward wise, which is which I think is why we've seen Salah start playing there. So you know, even if Firmino were to drop out, we've got Salah who can go centre forward. I think, and you know, both both Firmino and Salah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many kind of injuries they've had, but they aren't very injury prone. So you're kind of thinking, oh, well, we can trust them. So I would say the defense is the position that we need to improve upon. Even, even center mids. I mean, people have got their ideal pairings and people have got like players they do and don't want, but I don't think anyone could necessarily say X player is a bad player. You know, if, you know, I think any of our center mids, even, even with Kaita last night, I think. He hasn't done so well, but I wasn't disappointed to see him starting. Whereas I think, you know, when you go to defence, I think you've just got to think to yourself as a fan who wants the best for the club, how many players would you be a little bit iffy about in the defence who were starting? And I think you've, you've got to say there's, there's, there's a, there's a couple at least. Um, so yeah, I, I'd completely, I completely agree with Scott, to be honest with you. Yeah. 
Okay, and on that note, Scott, I will let you uh, finish up the topic. So is there anything you wanted to add, anything you wanted to respond to what Luke said before we move on? Um, no, like I say, I just think it's the injury thing. It's the lack of depth. I know City's a hard example to try to follow, but you've got to look. When Luke gave a really good example there, Benjamin Mendy being pretty much constantly on the treatment table um, during his City career, you know, they've, they've still got players like, I know he had a bit of a stinker against Newcastle, but Danilo, like, you know, they've got him that could step in. They've got Kyle Walker on the other side. They've got players like Fabian Delph who could play there. They've got Laporte who can play there as well as centre back. You know, the, these are, they've got, they've got, they're not all necessarily on the same level, but they're all pretty good players. Whereas if you look at Liverpool's squad and you look at, okay, we've got Robertson, pretty good, pretty stellar left back there, one of the best in the league. We've got Trent, brilliant young talent, great to have him there. But then you look at the backup options and you think, Alberto Moreno, we all know he's just he's just a headless chicken. And then you've got Rafa Camacho on the other side, barring Joe Gomez, obviously, if he's playing in the middle, who is an unproven teenager. And that's dangerous. That's, you know, that's... I know it's difficult and to recruit to these backup positions, if you like, but if you're going to be considered as a, you know, one of the big powers in world and European football, then you've got to, you've got to be ruthless in terms of these things and getting people in. And, you know, if you're being successful and you're competing in four and winning trophies, like hopefully Liverpool will be in the next couple of years and at the end of this season, then it doesn't matter. Players will be happy to come to a club and fight for their place in these positions because they know it's a club that's at the top of, you know, at least domestically and is pushing in Europe and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a really interesting, going to be a really interesting summer, um, depending on, you know, how the league en- ends up um, finishing up in terms of uh, defensive uh, recruitment. But, you know, I think, I do think defence is the biggest area of concern, but it's not far off followed by attackers and you know, so strikers slash creative attacking midfielders, because you know Luke t- sort of touched on it then, and you know should should we have an injury to two of Salah and Firmino at the same time? We're looking at like Lalana and Sturridge and Origi and players like that to come in. Um, granted, Ox is injured, so that kind of wipes out another option. But Shakiri's been a bit hit and miss recently, um, so you know I think and there'll definitely be a couple of outgoings in that department. Talk of Sturridge and definitely Origi being allowed to go. Lalana, I think, is a given as well. Um, even if you can even call him a threat anymore. Um, so, you know, defence is a big area, but I think we're adequately covered elsewhere. So it just makes that area a little bit of an Achilles heel still. Okay. So some really good stuff there. We are going to move on to talk about Luke, your article, which is about pressure and the title race. And I think this is a really good one based on the sort of what's happened in the last couple of nights. So why don't you kick us off by talking us through the article and then we can really dig into it. Yeah, yeah. So um, I kind of had this idea for uh, for an article after after we played City um, and it was just the idea of um, the kind of pressure improving teams and what pressure means kind of in different scenarios, really. Um, I think, because obviously a lot, I think a lot of people look at the idea of kind of City you know, I think if they're not the the best like Premier League team who's like won the league, then they're you know they're up there and probably in the top two with a Man United team really, um or Jose's Chelsea. But regardless of what like what kind of what your personal preference is, we are fighting for the title against one of the best Premier League teams. Um, and the idea of, of the piece is kind of around well, what what does that mean for us, and where are we in terms of how we go about chasing them down. Um, because although they are brilliant, I mean, you know, they've had, they've had particular setbacks that, you know, they haven't been kind of perfect. But I think what them being so good helps us do is actually just kind of focus and give us kind of clarity of almost purpose and clarity of uh, how we're going to go about the rest of the season. So I think, cause people deal with, people will talk about pressure and say kind of, Oh, how are you going to react? How are we going to react? I think, what Klopp has been saying is, I mean, I think every manager in the league would say this, no matter like what like what position. But you just think of the next game, and it's just all about winning. And if if you can kind of focus on 
we've just got to try and win absolutely every game because we are against one of the best teams that's kind of ever been in the league. I think if you kind of have that clarity of vision, there's there's less wiggle room. There's less room to kind of, in your own head at least, like rest on your laurels. So I think, and, and, and what is actually quite interesting of how like, People have been saying, "Oh, City going to throw down the gauntlet to Liverpool," and in my can in my head a little bit, I do think if City had have won, I think maybe we would have found a way to win. And I'm not saying that kind of City losing against Newcastle meant that we kind of took our foot off the gas, but I think it it, it shifts your mindset from a hundred percent focus to kind of, "Oh well, we've got a little bit of room to to maybe." not mess up but maybe not be at like 100% across 11 areas of the pitch um, and, and kind of bringing it full circle back around, back around to the piece I think it'll generally I think if we if we're measuring ourselves against one of the kind of the, the greats in English football across the last 29 years it's only going to improve us it's only going to kind of if our ceiling and city ceiling is at a particular place it's only going to kind of increase us and only going to push us closer to our ceiling because because you have got to beat your best every game but then if you're at your best every game for a year then your best is almost kind of getting better in a weird like in a weird way it's improving you i suppose it's like with you know if we take in the defense for an example if we brought in a left back who people were saying this this guy's the real deal He's, he's one of the best in you know he's one of the best in the world maybe say just for example or one of the best young players in the world I imagine Andy Robertson's uh, not effort. I imagine Andy Robertson's performance may go up because it's the idea that now you've got to really be at it every single game. It's a little bit in the context of squad competition. It's a little bit like that in the league. We, we've got no wiggle room. We've got nowhere to kind of go because we've always got to be at our best. And I think that actually kind of last last night excluded helps us. We know if we win 13 of our remaining games, we win the title. And although of course, that brings its own own pressure, kind of maybe if we're going to Wolves on the last day of the season and we need to win, that's going to be a different type of pressure. But in terms of preparation, we've, we know what we've got to do and we've just got to focus in and do it. And it, it's, it's really nice that, that City went on and kind of uh, dropped points against Newcastle because obviously it's disappointing that we only, when we're only five points clear as opposed to seven. But if you'd have said to me on Monday, you're gonna be, you're gonna increase your leads. I'd have been buzzing. It's just the fact that it came about in a in a weird, different way that we would have expected. Um, so yeah, the piece in general is just about kind of like another spin on having such a formidable side against us in the league, and how hopefully, um, quite the opposite of like PSG and, and maybe Munich at the moment, that might even push us on to improve kind of in Europe because you've you've seen how you know for PSG have never got. In the last, I think it was, I can't remember what it was now, but in the last 25 years, I think it was, PSG have never reached the semi-final of the, of the European Cup. And of course, they haven't kind of, they only got to take over recently, but it, it, the competition, I think that's the reason. It's, it's the comp- lack of competition in the league doesn't push their players on and improve them in aspects that you would imagine would improve them in Europe. So I think it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way. Um, but the piece is essentially about how I think we will go on, and if we don't win the title, I think we'll go on to improve because we've we've almost got to. We've got the manager, we've got the players, we've got the experience of losing in finals. I mean, even that in itself, as a pressure, helps because players don't want to do that again. So they know they don't want to feel of, they don't want to feel like they're going to lose another another league, another final, another trophy, and they've got to be at their best because City are brilliant, and and that's what the kind of that's what the whole piece is about, really. Okay, some really interesting points there. I do think it's interesting, you know, if it had been the other way around and we'd drawn against Leicester, then City lost, the reaction would be so different to the way it has been the sort of today. But I do think it's really interesting. I mean, I, I think you you made a lot of good points in there. I think it's really interesting how you talk about how, you know, having a good team push you a bit further makes a big, big difference. Um, so I want to get your thoughts overall first, Scott. Um, what did you make of the article and what did you make of anything sort of Luke's just said there? What do you make of the perception that Maybe not the perception, the, the the reality of how City have made the last sort of year and a half be, and how that how that presence has affected this title race so far. Well, I think Luke's got it bang on. Uh, to be honest, um, it's it's the mentality 
the difference between the mentality of the fan and the you know the professional sportsman in the fact that Liverpool have got to as a team have got to look at it and just think City are City are pretty damn good so we've got to be better and that's the mentality that these guys have um, you know you hear footballers and Olympic athletes and you know all major competing sportsmen say you know and you think, oh, you know, it was a great achievement. You weren't expecting to get a silver medal. And like, yeah, but it's a silver and it's not a gold. And you think, oh, what a great season that was. And Liverpool came so close to, to winning the league. And uh, not so much in 13-14 because we kind of bottled it. But in 08-09, so close to winning the league. It just didn't quite go their way. Think, yeah, well, we didn't win it, did we? And that's that's the difference. And I think, I think Luke's really made a good point in fact that I think I don't think Klopp will be letting the players think like that for one second but I think them looking at City and seeing them not so much against Newcastle of course but when they keep grinding out results and thinking okay anything you can do we can do better bring it on rather than being like ah oh, no City have won again what are we going to do what happens if we don't beat Watford or whatever do you know what I mean it's it's not the fact that Liverpool are intimidated by City because we've shown that we're not, we're not scared of them. It's the fact that I think that how City have kind of played and this sort of the, the rivalry that's built up between the two teams is actually firing, firing the boys on. And I, I love the point about PSG as well. I think you've got that so right. You know, they most of the time canter to the league title and then it comes to serious European football and they, you know, they're, they're nothing special, I don't think, in Europe. I mean, yeah, I know we only scraped the win past them earlier this season at Anfield. Um, but, you know, they don't, they never seem to get too far and they always look vulnerable against the teams that are properly pushed and, and, uh, given the runaround in the league. I know there's some, some anomalies there and, you know, like Barcelona and Madrid who usually run away with things and Munich as well, but, you know, that's, that's a prime example of that. So, in terms of dealing with the pressure, are they even seeing it as pressure, Liverpool, or are they just seeing it as motivation? I don't know. Like, I, I would like to think they're seeing that as motivation, sort of like anything you can do, I'm going to one-up you. Um, and I think that's a better way to look at it than to think, oh, City, well, now we've got to win and everything like that. So, yeah, I think it was a brilliantly written piece as well. Um, I just add. Okay. So, some, some good stuff there. Um, my first question to you, Luke, is how big do you think this perception is of City? And how much do you think that's actually maybe clouding some of the fact that their results this season have actually been relatively mediocre compared to how they... Not mediocre, but compared to how it was last season and maybe how we might expect them to be. Obviously, they can't now make 100 points. Their current points tally, if they get extrapolated over the, the rest of the season, is 89 points. If they get the same sort of, if they get the same percentage of results as they've got in the first half of the season, which is actually lower than United finished with in 08-09. Um, so do you think it, maybe this sort of perception of City being the all-conquering juggernauts has, is maybe enough? Uh, and if, even with them starting to falter, or do you think it is the case that actually the City side maybe aren't quite as good as people are making out? I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Um, I think, I think if you'd have asked me, um, probably like at the weekend, so say if we were doing this on Saturday or Sunday, um, even forgetting the FA Cup game, I'd have still said, yeah, I think this, like this city side, um, are, um, are as good as, as everyone is saying. Um, and I can, and I, I kind of still do. I mean, I, I think that, I think they're, I think they're great. Like they're, they're, they're wonderful. They're great to watch. Um, but I think I actually kind of think this Newcastle result a little bit. Is actually taken more taint away from them than the previous, the, the Leicester and the, and the Crystal Palace results, to be honest. Because I think, I think what's happened with the, with the two results, was it pre-Christmas or around Christmas time, um, against Leicester and Palace? I think you can kind of put that down to like, oh, that's just, that's just a poor period in, in the season. And like, it, you know, it, it happens to kind of everyone, um, saying that, like, I hope it doesn't, <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen to Liverpool, like, in it, in the next few months, but it does happen to everyone. What they've done is they've kind of, they've had the period from beating us to a couple of days ago where I thought, oh Jesus, like we're, we're, 
we're really going to have to be at our absolute best. But they've gone from kind of proving to that they're. I think the I think the Liverpool result motivated them massively because it's one of them, isn't it? It's kind of oh, we've overcome our fierce rivals and now we'll push on. I suppose it's a little bit like the reaction that we probably had from the Champions League last year when we beat them. It's right, we've beaten possibly the best team in it. Let's push on and crack on and get to the final and try and win the trophy. Granted, we didn't. Um, but what to answer the question, I think it, I think it's hard to say now, but I think it would be it would be an interesting question to ask in four games' time because I think they'll be really deflated by the Newcastle result. They, they kind of came across, so I, I watched the game with the Newcastle fan and I thought Newcastle did really well all the way through the game. In the first half, it, the commentators were, were kind of, I think, quite critical of the way that Newcastle were going about their business, but they had quite a few like rapid counter-attacks, save for a couple of bad touches. Um, but I do, I would love to see, I mean, they've got, obviously got a couple of tough games, the next three are quite tough, but I'd love to see where they're at kind of end of Feb, because that will tell us a lot more, and obviously then we'd have hindsight, but that will tell us a lot more about kind of the motivation of this team, because... I think one will be gutted about losing to Newcastle, but I also think two will be gutted about Liverpool drawing. I think in a, in a weird way, I've seen it, I've seen a few people say it on Twitter. I think in a weird way, they'll be kicking themselves that that Liverpool have drawn and they haven't reduced the gap. So, I mean, whether that works kind of against them, who knows? I think maybe, I think maybe it will. I think maybe they'll beat they'll beat Arsenal at the weekend, but I do think the next few games are really important for them. Um, and it's also, I think it also kind of helps Liverpool in a way that they had this brilliant run where, yeah, in the, it was obviously a lot in the Cups, but they scored, I think, 28 goals with no reply. But now we know in our own minds that they can do that, but then they've got that result in them. So that, in a way, kind of loosens it up a little bit for us, I think. I think it kind of gives us the opportunity to not not take the pressure off in any way, but almost take the pressure off ourselves that we, a little bit, City, they may prove to be human this year. I mean, they played last year an absolute canter. How long can they go on for? I mean, in terms of energy and effort and motivation, how long can they go on for this year? Because then, if they win the league this year, that'll be two excellent years. And very few teams have two excellent years. So, to answer your question, it's really hard to answer. But I, I think the Newcastle game could be a, a blow, a big blow for them. Yeah, I, I agree actually. Um I was just thinking before, you know, and this is something actually I'm gonna I'm gonna read out a tweet now that's just showed up my feed because I think it summed up exactly what I was sort of thinking. It's from John O'Sullivan at Notorious uh, JOS on Twitter. Go follow him, he's a great, great lad to have on Twitter. I know they're Centurions, but people are expecting City to win all of their games and think Liverpool's game last night was a precursor to a bad run when Man City were much worse against the worst team than Leicester on Tuesday night. And I think that's very true, you know. Everyone's sort of sitting here going, oh, you know, City, they're going to go and win all their games from now on, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think, is there that much evidence that they're going to do that? You know, that Tuesday night performance was really poor. They were not good. And I think, you know, all this talk about how City, a lot of the talk is about how the pressure is on us, right? And about how we're the team that are under pressure because City have won the league. But City were never under any pressure last year, really. There was no sort of situation where they were under pressure to win the league. You know, they didn't even... The game where they were in tunnel up and looking to finish the league off, they actually ended up losing, and they only they didn't only win the league, obviously, but they the league itself was won by United dropping points the next game. So City didn't win the game to win the league, if that makes sense, last year, which I think might be maybe not. It might just be something that's creeping about in the back of their minds, you know, that kind of thing. I don't think they they they're not a side that have demonstrated that they can handle real pressure over the mm. last sort of two years. So Scott, that leads me on to my next question, which I'll ping at you. Um, from City's perspective, would you not see it maybe the other way around? Because, you know, from a City perspective, they're looking at this going, because we're looking at it going, oh, God, City going to win every game till the end of the season. Why shouldn't City be looking at this going, God, this Liverpool side just won't stop winning? You know, this Liverpool side of now, this is the first time we've dropped points against a team outside the top six all season. City are looking at this going, all right, we're on for a 90-point season here, and we're still five points behind Liverpool. How the hell is this happening? Why won't... And maybe that's putting pressure on them as well, you know, from the other side of it. You know, they're looking at us going, this Liverpool team are a juggernaut that are just not stopping. How are we supposed to cope? And that is in itself creating pressure for them. So do you think, in many respects, it could be flipped, the, flipped on, the other, on the other hand? 
Absolutely. Um, I mean, I've just got, when you said about, you know, they've got some tough fixtures coming up. Our running now, we've only got to play, um, it's Spurs and Chelsea from a top four or five teams perspective, which is a boost. But, you know, the other teams we, we have to beat. But like you just said, Leicester, first team outside the top four, we've got points against all season. When you look at City's fixtures coming up, their next fixture, Arsenal at home, they will probably win that game. But again, you don't really want to have to be going into games with teams like Arsenal thinking we can't we can't drop points and then let Liverpool pick up and we can't lose to Arsenal and then let Liverpool draw again because then they're six points ahead of us and at worst if they win again they're eight points ahead of us like we can't do that so they have City they have have got Arsenal at home Everton away could they have a new manager bounce doubt it because Everton are Everton um, then they've got Chelsea at home that won't be easy because we know you know and apart from the Chelsea team that turned up against Bournemouth last night, Chelsea are not a bad team and they've got the players that can win the games. Then they've got a couple of cup games, um, followed by the EFL Cup final. And they, you know, they're, that breaks up their momentum in the league as well before they come back to play West Ham. And then in March, again, they've got another couple of tough fixtures. Bournemouth away is not an easy fixture. And then they've got United away straight after a Champions League tie as well. They will 100% be sitting on the other side of this thinking, our fixture list is so much more horrible than Liverpool. Like, this Liverpool team, they weren't great against Leicester and they only, and they drew. They could still have won it. They had a couple of dodgy refereeing decisions, which I'm just not going to talk about because I'm still human. Um, that went against them, which would probably have swayed the game in their favour and they would probably have won had it not been for that. So I think City will actually be thinking, thank God they only drew last night. Um, They'll be looking at their fixtures and looking at ours and looking at form and that performance, like Luke so rightfully said, that should really concern them against Newcastle because they were poor. They didn't keep the ball. The press wasn't there. They weren't carving Newcastle up as easily as they perhaps thought they were going to. And they looked really susceptible to the counter. They'll be, they'll be sitting there thinking, is this, is this gonna, are we just gonna wilt away? Like, one more, def- if they lose one more of their games in the immediate next three or four league games, and Liverpool win all of theirs, which is not unforeseeable, they're gonna, they, they may well start to chuck the towel in. And if that does happen, say they, say they draw a game and they lose one of their next four, and Liverpool just carry on winning, or they just pick up two wins and two draws, and we extend that gap further, are City gonna think, we're not going to catch them now, do we now focus all of our efforts on trying to win the Champions League, which we know is what their owners want and we know it's what you know they want to do to try and establish themselves as a real European powerhouse. So does that come into the equation? I mean, I know it's nice to be, still be juggling four competitions, but at the end of the day, they might sort of be thinking, I don't know how we're going to manage to keep up with Liverpool because we are undoubtedly in their heads as well. Um you know, the the loss against them, you know, they only just beat us, really. Um, and, you know, we held them pretty well at Anfield. And every other time, we've showed that other side to us this season, which we didn't have last season. We just ground out results, even when we've not been playing well. So I think they'll be, they'll be looking at us. I think at the moment, I think Liverpool is a more complete team than City is. Because... I just feel like Liverpool have got a bit more resilience. City are a little bit more susceptible to the bad performances. And when, when City play badly, it, you just, you don't feel like they're going to win. Cause I, I was sitting there watching the game against Newcastle the other night, just thinking Newcastle are really having a go at these when they get the chance. And when they do, City are scared and they don't look like they're going to bounce back. If Newcastle get a goal, City are going to go, oh, we can't afford to lose this and really panic. And I think every time that City get put in that situation now until the end of the season, if they go 1-0 down to somebody or they're 1-0 up and they get pegged back, that thought is going to be right at the front of their minds. Like, we need to score and we need to score fast because this is not like a out of, oh, let's just get this game won, lads, out of a necessity and out of sheer panic that if they don't, they're going to, they're going to can the league in. I think that's going to really, really play heavily on their minds. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really, really good points made there. 
Um, we're running towards the end of time, so I'm going to ask you one final question, Luke, and then I'll sort of let you summarise your thoughts on the article overall. Um, what do you think the difference is between something like this performance, uh, this sort, this season, sorry, where we are cha- where we are ahead, versus something like 0809 and 13-14, where we were chasing and we were sort of having to having to get perfection just to be in the hunt, whereas this some reason we've got a bit of a gap. So, you know, in this, because obviously you talk about it, 0809 and 13-14 seasons comparatively, do you think the difference is this year we are the team in front and the other teams are doing the chasing, and how big a difference do you think that might make? Um, I think it'll... I'm not sure how big a difference it will make, but in terms of... If, if, if I was... If I had any, any influence, I'd... The longer that we're top, I'd be reminding the players... Um, maybe not, maybe not over obviously, but I'd be reminding them. I mean, we've been top since, since Dece- what, December now. I mean, you know, we, it's nearly February. We've been top for a while. Like, you know, and, and I think it's, I think it's the idea that going from, oh, we've been chasing for a while. And I think chasing can be hard because, I mean, I remember in 08, 09, we were chasing United. And I think it was a game against Villa where they were losing 2-1 and Marcheda came on. And you know, when, when it's 2-1 as, as a fan and I imagine as a player, you're thinking this is the time that we can kind of push on now. And then they go and kind of get, get a couple of goals back. You know, I imagine, I imagine the City players or, or Pep was, was watching the Liverpool derby and going into 95 minutes, he was like, this is great. This is great. They've dropped two points. And then, you know, the last kick of the game almost or the last header of the game, Origi scores. <laughs> I, I'm going to call it a worldie because it, you know, because it's a worldie. But um, and I think when you're first, the the blows are bigger. If you if you can continue to even grind out results, I mean, yeah. Last night, Leicester City's a hard game. You know, when when you see that when you see their starting lineup, you 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 kind of look at it and you it's then you realise how are you like how aren't you consistently seventh. I mean, it's it's a really good side, and um, okay, you know, City might, might be a little bit glad that the, the gap isn't further, but it's the fact that we got you know we got a result over them. I mean, they lost to Leicester, we won to Leicester, we 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 just well scoreline, we just beat Palace, but really the performance was good, you know. It's and they drop points to Palace, it's, you know, and things like that. We are inflicting the blows, and if we can kind of get our head around the fact that we're the people, we're the ones that they're chasing. We're inflicting the blows because every blow will seem like a massive blow, like it has done to us in previous seasons. You know that that Villa game in oh eight oh nine, that you know, the the we didn't lose to Palace in thirteen fourteen. But ask anyone, you'd say that it felt like we did because everything when you're chasing feels like a blow. Every last minute goal, every loss to Newcastle will feel huge to City. You know, it's it. I think that is what you've got to look at it if you're the. Maybe not if you're the squad, because you just think whatever happens, win. Whatever happens, win. But as a fan base, the blows are there to be had when you're seconds. I, I, I think. Um, and of course, if we lose, we're going to be gutted. It's going to feel horrendous. But actually, if we lose, we're still we're still top. We could lose our next game. We're still top. Whatever happens against City, and that's. I think it's nice to loot to draw to Leicester last night because Klopp should be saying to the squad. Right, you've got that with system now. Doesn't happen again. You've had that. You know how good you feel because you knew you could have been seven points ahead. It doesn't happen again. And I think the reaction against West Ham, I, I, I don't want to jinx it, but I think we, we'll put in a really good performance against West Ham. And then I can see us kind of pushing on from there, really. Okay, wicked. So we are pretty much bang on an hour now. So I will wrap this up. Um, Scott, is there anything that you have got to plug at the moment? Uh, yeah, I've just submitted a piece uh, for AI today. Uh, I was just looking at some pivotal fixtures in uh, in Liverpool's running for the title. Um, looking at, I think it's four key games against United, Everton, Spurs, and then Chelsea. Which you know, if Liverpool and City keep going head to head, that Chelsea game, second, uh, third, last game of the season, could be the game that we clinch the league. So I've just had a little bit of a look forward and. Um, analyse those games a little um, see where we can go from there um, and then there's just a few other bits um, going out on some other sites that I'll be working on uh, apart from being embarrassed by my new workplace with a cheesy photo of a Liverpool mug at my new desk and uh, nothing else too much to be honest 
Okie dokie. And Luke, is there anything that you've got to plug this week? Uh, no, no. Um, just just the piece on AI, and then I'll have um, a piece coming on n- next Tuesday. Um, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure what that that'll be on. Um, but yeah, just just those two things really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks. Wicked stuff, guys. Thank you both so much for coming on. Thank you very much to Guy for recording, and um, thank you to Liani. Obviously, couldn't be here this week, but obviously she's always uh, flitting about behind the scenes. We've always got stuff going on, and um, it's great to have such great support from the writers as well um thank you so much for listening and we will be back next week see you then Podcast Network.